You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. If you're here this morning and are listening on the radio this morning, you find yourself a part of a crowd of people who are called to share hope in Jesus Christ. You may be here for the very first time. You may have been here since you were a baby, but you're a part of this throng. It just reminds me of that first Palm Sunday as people began to crowd around, this pilgrim crowd of people. They didn't all understand why they were in this crowd in the same way that I think you and I don't fully grasp why are we in the midst of this crowd? Why are we here even today? And yet they'd heard rumors about Lazarus coming back from the dead and as Jesus moves from Bethany on the Mount of Olives, beyond the Mount of Olives, uh, down this crowd gathers around and they say, Hosanna, Hosanna, Lord, save us. Jesus will move into the Valley of Kedron through the vineyards and then up to the Temple Mount. And here's this Great people. And I trust that God has us here as a great people to know that in the midst of life's traumas, and yes, life is hard, there is one who will never abandon us. And there is love for us. As the Apostle Paul says, he will never force, he said, there's nothing that will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And last Sunday, uh, somebody handed me a little index card um, from the congregation, one of these cards that's in the pew rack in front of you, and they had written a quote on it that I really liked. And it said, hope is rejoicing early. And that's really what it is. It's rejoicing early. It's knowing that, yes, life is traumatic and there's a lot of pain in this creation and people are hurting and you might be hurting And yet all out of sequence, all out of time, there is something that we can have even today. There's someone whom we can know today who makes it possible to rejoice way too early. But the joy is real. And that's what we call hope. I want to invite you to read about this hope as the Apostle Paul culminates his great argument in the case for hope in Romans 5 through 8. He returns to the theme of hope here. And it really comes to a crescendo in these final verses. And I'd like to invite you to read them with me together. So if you're able, would you stand and let's read Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. You'll find this on page 919 of the Pew Bible. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39, the end of the chapter. When we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. So that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading his holy word. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God who indeed intercedes for us, who will separate us from the love of Christ. Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. 
No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Please be seated. Some of you have asked me recently, and I appreciate this, how's that dog that you guys adopted? Uh, in, in January, my family uh, became own, home, uh, dog owners for the first time. We invited a dog into our home from the Seattle Animal Shelter. And uh, I want to show you a little picture here. This is Gus. Uh, he's a Havanese and uh, a sweet, sweet dog. So cute. That's Corey at the shelter holding him. But I got to tell you, what you need to know is Corey's holding him at a safe distance from his body because uh, Gus has turned out to be a lovely dog, but not always a loving dog. And uh, we all have scar prints in our bodies now, all four of us, the fifth is away, uh, because Gus has sunk his teeth deep into our flesh. Yeah, and I, I, you can't see today's wound. It's actually a week old, so it's just scarring over. But the worst of them is in my right hand. And I wanted to share with you as we reflect on this passage together what it is that I'm learning, what it is that Gus is teaching me about myself, and what it is that Gus is teaching me about our God. These two things. See, what, what I'm learning about our, myself and ourselves is that the fear of abandonment is deep and abiding in our lives. And what I'm learning about God is that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. That's his promise to us in that verse you just read, verse 39. What is Gus teaching us about ourselves? Well, I think it's that, we're hard, that it's hard to be loved and uh, I'll tell you this story. As uh, Gus, we, um, that photo that you just saw was the day before we were able to take him home. They told us he's not adoptable. He'd been with the shelter for a month, and uh, he was just too anxious, and he was barking uh, through the night and biting. Um, and his, this was what the, his history was. Apparently, a woman uh, had owned him for six years, and uh, the problem for Gus wasn't that his life had been so hard, like so often you get a rescue dog. It's that it was so great. He apparently was doted on by this woman. Apparently a single woman. She uh, lived alone. She uh, got ill, couldn't care for the dog anymore. We think she passed away. Through that process, the dog fell into the hands of her nephew. Uh, and it didn't go well with him over those four months, and he surrendered the dog to the shelter. And as cute as he is, and as much fun as he is to be around, the truth is he's clearly been traumatized. 
I, came, I was away uh, last week and came home, and we had a nice Sunday gathering. Our family's kind of reconnecting with one another. We lit the fire. We're uh, gathering around the table, about to eat and watch a video. And Gus was lying on the floor uh, with his back kind of against the sofa on the carpet, and he had his paws out, and he just looked so relaxed. And I thought, you totally are getting it. You know, you're becoming part of this family. This is what, you know, it's all about. And I reached down to stroke his belly, and two inches away, he seized on my hand. And I said, yeah, you know, and I stood up and I held my hand up and there he's hanging off of my (laughs) flesh like a snake. And I'm going down, Gus. (laughs) And uh, he, you know, and he drops off of my hand. And um, so if I don't squeeze your hand real hard this morning, when I greet you in the narthex, you'll know that uh, it's still healing on the inside. And I I thought, what is that? And the answer to the question is abandonment. This dog has been abandoned. Everything he knows, his world, all of the love that he has experienced, the way that he has known who he is as a dog has died and passed away. And he he has experienced nothing but loss. Now his home is gone. His master is gone. He was with this strange man for four months who didn't treat him well. And then he's been in a cell for a month. The problem for Gus is that he has no longer got the capacity to trust. And the same thing happens to you and me. And frankly, it's the people who oftentimes believe more of others, who love more in the world, who expose their heart, making it vulnerable, who feel feel ultimately abandoned when somebody doesn't receive the love or reciprocate the love that we hope to give them. Abandonment, you see, is not just about your past. We don't just say of Gus, well, Gus, that's your history. We're so sorry, but today is a new day. Abandonment is about your future. It's about your capacity to build healthy relationships with other people. It's about the capacity to know who you are in a changing world. I think I've told you before what Rod Stewart says, uh, next time I think about getting married, I'm just going to buy a house and give it to a woman that I don't like. Right? Because we do, we pull back. I will never allow myself to get hurt that way again. The writer of Proverbs says, guard your heart for from it flow the wellsprings of life. We just cannot afford to take the risk anymore. And we will choose not to trust. Abandonment. It is a hope killer. The fear of abandonment kills our hope. And the Apostle Paul has never been to the church in Rome. He's never been to Rome. He knows some of the people there. He greets them in Romans 16, but he does not have to know the particulars of the way in which at that time those followers of Jesus Christ felt abandoned to know that they do, to know that they fear deep down inside being abandoned. Because it's part of the universal human condition. And he gives in verse 35 a kind of a generic list of things, experiences that will separate us. He says, uh, whether it's hardship or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, peril or sword, dot, 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 I don't care what it is. You and I know that there are places we get into in life that pull us away from that which we love and, and those who love us. And we feel abandoned. And we can fill in the blanks. 
It's so funny that abandonment is, is the beginning of our human experience for many of us. I mean, how many of you are first children? You're the eldest child in your family. Good Presbyterians, probably the majority of us, right? We're doing the right thing. You're going to church on Sunday, right? Like the elder. And you know what? You know, our parents do a horrible thing to us. We're born, and no sooner are we born than many of our families, our, our mom and dad say, hey, let's have another one of these things. And you're going, what? I thought I was your perfection. And you're going to try again? You're kidding me. And we begin to feel abandonment right from the very beginning. Our parents have abandoned the beauty of this uh, triangle of love that we live in. We grow up and we experience abandonment as our parents divorce, as so often the case. We experience abandonment as our friends move on. You know, the juniors, the seniors graduate and your friends are gone off to college. You feel abandoned. You move to another city to take a job or that uh, family that has become so much a part of your own moves away. We feel abandoned as parents, as our kids mature, and we define ourselves as parents, and then our, our kids say, not anymore, thanks mom and dad, but I'm my own person. And as they gain their identity, they seem to rip ours right out of our hands, and we feel abandoned. Or a company that we work for kicks us to the curb one day, and we feel abandoned. We have an experience of abandonment as we grow old, and we feel that society and its institutions have marginalized us. Or as we watch our parents slowly decline, we feel abandoned. And so in all of these situations, we tend to protect ourselves by withholding trust. Uh, You may not know that the Greek word for abandonment can also be translated country music. And and nobody says it better than uh, country musicians. So here's a song, John Prine in the frying pan. He says, I come home from work this evening. There was a note in the frying pan. It said, fix your own supper, babe. I run off with a fuller brush man. (laughs) And I miss the way she used to yell at me, the way she used to cuss and moan. If I ever go out and get married again, I'll never leave my wife at home. (laughs) But if we withhold our trust, we will never be people who live with hope. We will never be people who grow into the kind of people that God has made us to be. We'll never be ourselves. And that's the thing about Gus. You look at this dog and you think he's not himself right now. Because, we, you know, we, we, try, we thought having a dog would be about playing fetch, for example. You know, and I, I come up to, I got a tennis ball and I say, hey, Gus, this is a ball. And he turns around and he walks away back to his kennel. I think you're kidding me. And I throw the ball and say, fetch. And, you know, who goes and gets the ball? It's me. Here's a dog <laughs> who doesn't even know how to play. He doesn't know how to be a dog. And that's what will happen through the trauma of abandonment. You forget what it means to be you. I read this, uh, this a psychiatrist says, um, fear of abandonment represents my deepest doubt about my own worthiness to be loved. See, go beneath the surface, and this is what's going on. Others cannot love me permanently and loyally. That's what we believe. They will leave me once they really know me or tire of me. Catch this, the fear of abandonment is the fear that someone will go away and we will not survive it. Saying what the Bible has been saying since the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3. The story is telling us that there's some brokenness, there's some shame, there's some pain deep down in our beings that we think if you really saw who I was, you would not stay with me anymore. You would turn and run. This is why the pain of divorce is so devastating, because the person you let get closest to you is now the person who says, you are a jerk. 
And it's worse than dying. And we all will protect ourselves and hide behind something, like the fig leaf of the Garden of Eden. We will hold our, our friends and, and co-workers and neighbors at arm's distance because we cannot afford to let them see what we really see deep down inside because we know that if we do, they will abandon us. And we begin to hold God at an arm's distance as well. See, you and I know ourselves only in relationship to other persons. Our identity is constructed in relationship to other people. And when those people turn or when we fear that they will turn, we know that we will lose our sense of self. It's not just that you're no longer in my life. It's that you took me out of my life and I don't know who I am anymore. The fear of abandonment is the fear of being annihilated. It's so hard to be loved when we will not trust the one who loves us most and the one who made us to be the unique person that we are called to be. What does Gus teach us about God? Well, I, I, one of the things I've noticed is I've watched, you know, whenever I approach Gus, I, my motive towards him is benevolent. I, I, I want Gus to thrive, except when he's hanging off my hand. <laughs> but almost always it's benevolent. And, but I watch him shy away from me. I watch him turn his tail and move off. I see the skittishness in him. And I begin to wonder, is this the way God experiences me? Because you, I, I, I you know, used to always think that the limit on God's love in my life is God's limitation. You know, he just won't or can't love me the way I want to be loved and need to be loved. And, and he's just not quite coming through. And I've asked God, why aren't, you, you know, why aren't you giving me what you must know that I need? And now I realize the limit on Gus's experience of my love is not my capacity to give it to him. It's his capacity to receive it. See, I wonder to what extent have I limited God's capacity to love me by my failure to be able to trust him in every situation. He says, George, I love you. He says to you, I love you. As Jesus says, if we ask him for bread, will he give us a stone? If we ask him for a fish, will he give us a snake? He says, I know what you need. I made you. I want to give you the best for you at every moment, and at every point in time, and to even today. In the midst of the trauma, God loves you through the trauma. We tend to think that the trauma just kind of in, in, invalidates what we learn in the Bible about God's love. Oh, the Apostle Paul saying he, he loves you through the trauma, in the midst of it. C.S. Lewis, the uh, British intellectual and atheist-turned-believer, wrote a book upon the death of his wife, Joy Davidman, called A Grief Observed, and he begins with a poignant question. He says, meanwhile, where is God? Joy Davidman and C.S. Lewis have been married for just four years when she succumbed to cancer, and now there's this kind of gnawing silence in the home. He comes home, and it's just so empty, it's not even a home anymore. And he's hearing all the sounds that he'd never even noticed before in her absence, and it signifies to him the, the silence of God. After all, how could God be present through this devastating trauma? He says, where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms, Lewis writes. 
When you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing Him, so happy that you're tempted to feel His claim upon you as an interruption, if you remember yourself and turn to Him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to Him when your need is desperate, when all their help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that, silence. Where is God? What I love about this passage is the way that the Apostle Paul dwells within the questions. Did you notice that as you read the question? It's all about question after question. And when you and I feel abandoned, it's all about the questions. These are some of the questions I call Gus's questions. And think about this little dog, Gus, whose world has totally been turned upside down, asking now of his master, where have you gone? And why did you go? And what did I do wrong? And who am I now? And how will I ever continue? These are the kinds of, Gus's questions are the kinds of questions that you and I ask ourselves when we are abandoned, when we fear abandonment. And yet, Paul urges us to question the questions, to ask the deeper question, which in every case, did you notice, is a who question. It's not where, why, what. Or how, but it's the who question. Although those questions may never be answerable for us, but the one question that Paul presses upon us is the question that Jesus Christ has definitively answered for you once and for all. And that's the who is God question. We, we see these questions in verse 31. They begin, there are four questions. Verse 31, well, if God is for us, who's against us? See, ask yourself what you believe about God's motive towards you and really think about it. He says, look, if God has already given you the very most valuable thing that he has, his one and only son, is there anything he would withhold from you? No, he'll give you everything you need to thrive. And then verse 33, the, the second question, well, who will bring any charge against God's elect, those whom God has called to faith? And, and here the question is, uh, would anybody accuse you of doing something wrong? Would God accuse you of doing something wrong? And the answer is no, it's God who justifies. And if you've been following chapters 5 through 8, you realize this word justification means that God has declared you righteous. No, he's not accusing you of doing anything wrong. What God has done is he's declared you righteous. That's who you are in his eyes, no matter what you've done. And then verse 34, the next question, the third one, who is to condemn? Well, who's out there? To, that means to make a negative judgment on your life. Who's out there to do it? Well, a lot of people will help you with that project if you let them. But if you turn to the one uh, of whom we are asking these questions, you will find that the face of God is revealed to us in none other than Jesus Christ. He's the one who's died, who was raised, and he's sitting at the right hand of God. And right now he's praying for you, Paul says. Verse 34, he is interceding on your behalf. That's Susan. He says to the Father, you got to know Susan, and he's pleading his merits on your behalf. Look at her. She's perfect. And God has made his decision about you. Not guilty is what he says in Jesus Christ. And then finally, the fourth question is, who will separate us from the love of God? And this list of things, they sound like horrible things, but is there anything greater than God? Hardship? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. They could take everything away from you, Paul says, but they can never take God from you. He loves you. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
Jesus said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And he quotes, he quotes this kind of interesting passage in verse 36, and we go, what is that, this being killed all day? He's showing, that Paul's saying, I understand the question. He's drawing on the great tradition of the laments in the Psalter. This is Psalm 44. It's a psalm of a community who said, God, we've done everything right. We don't worship false gods. We worship you. We love your law. And yet our armies have just gone out and you have abandoned us. We come back wounded and defeated. Why do you hide your face from us? The psalmist asked. Paul says, I understand that you asked that question. Frankly, I, the great apostle Paul, I ask that question every day. And I answer it not by knowing the answer to that question, but by asking another question that questions that question. And that's the who question. Who are you, God? You are the one who's loved us. Martin Luther says this is the tragedy of our human condition, that we fall so far we can no longer see or hear the true God. And we imagine the condemning God is the only God. And then the God we imagine becomes the God we get, and we will not trust. Where is God? He's met you in the depths of your greatest abandonment. Where is God? God is for you on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cries out on the cross, why have you abandoned me to, to God the Father so that you can know that he will never, ever abandon you? God has come in Jesus Christ, as the creed said, to descend into hell, to catch you at the very depths of your bottom There's no trauma that God has not entered in Jesus Christ. There's no darkness into which he will not come and look you into the face eyeball to eyeball and say, here, even here, come to me and you will live again. What does Gus teach us about God? He teaches us that there is hope in the one who never stops loving us. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. That's our assurance. Ron uh, said it well in his uh, testimony to us. He says, God will never let uh, us down when we rely on him. And listen, did you catch this? He said, when you rely on God, you will be able to do that which is impossible. And those of us who have truly been abandoned know that reconstructing your life and finding your sense of self and believing again in God is the impossible. But we can do that. Imagine what it would be to be a people who did not fear abandonment because we know God had not abandoned us. What we could do, we could, for example, make commitments. How many people today do not dare to get married to the person they know they love because they're afraid that that person will abandon them or they're afraid that they will abandon that person. But when you and I know that God will never abandon you, that there's one person in your life who loves you perfectly, you now have the freedom to take the risk and to make commitments in your life. Or not just making commitments, but what about loving those who are hard to love, the unlovable? When you know how much God has loved you in Jesus Christ, and that is your reality, you have a source of love that's abounding, love to share with those who will never reciprocate it because they can't. You can love the unlovable. You can make commitments. You can love the unlovable. You can face change. Imagine if we were a community that knew we were absolutely secure 
in Christ's love for us so that when change came in society and culture, in our own congregational life together, we could let go of things that were passing away and make new attachments to things that were coming. Why? Because we're secure. We can share hope. We can be a people learning how to rejoice early because we know that Jesus loves this whole creation and though it moans now in exile, He is giving birth to new life all around us. Steve Eldy, who's here worshiping one of our pastors, one day was visiting with an elderly man in a congregation named Arthur, and Arthur was just apparently a delightful man, one that everybody loved to know. And yet as he aged, his mind began to slip a little bit, and uh, he was placed in a uh, care facility and just began to slip away. And Steve would, would visit Arthur from time to time, and one day when Steve was sitting at Arthur's bedside, he said, Arthur, tell me, is, is there anything that you fear? And Arthur very candidly and I think um, astutely said, the one thing that I fear is that there'll come a day when I do not know who I am any longer. To which Steve answered, Arthur, we know who you are. And what's more important than that? Jesus knows who you are. And he will never forget you. And we will never let you forget. That's who Jesus is for you and for me. And this morning, if you are going through abandonment, I can't think of anything more important for you to do than to turn to Jesus Christ and reconstruct your whole world on this one principle that he will never leave you that nothing can separate you from his love. This Easter morning, I want you to remember Jesus' hands and the invitation to touch them and to see that they have been scarred. These scarred hands bear but the bite marks of those he loves, you and me. These are the hands of a God who so loves you that in the midst of our own inability to trust him, he holds on to us in his embrace. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, not even you, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Dear God, grant us grace to live with the questions in our own lives. But let us hear your invitation to ask the one question that matters. Who are you? And to deal with that question face to face with the Savior Jesus Christ, to whom we cry out this morning, Lord, save us. And we know that our, our cry is only half well-intentioned. We do not even know what we ask, but we know that your desire to save us in your love is so much greater than our capacity even to ask. So help us to trust. Help us to know that you are with us and love us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.